David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. Time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. David, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, PK. PK, who you got? Who's going to win the Masters? Well, I picked Justin Thomas, so I'm going to stick with that. That seems pretty good this morning. It seems like he's he's the odds-on favorite now. Uh, yes. If you go strictly on the odds, you are correct. A lot of golf to be played. Crazy stuff happens, David. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This is clearly a course that if you know it, you can play it. Like when Phil and Tiger are as low as they are, um, that experience, it's it actually kind of makes, not to get too in the deep depths of golf, it makes what Matthew Wolf did on day one probably the most impressive. It's the first time he's ever played to be under. I think he's two or three under. Pretty impressive. So, yeah. interesting. Yeah. I've weekend. enjoyed it the three times I've played it. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, you have. David, we talk to you uh, once a week, and I am curious over the course of the next week, how much is the league going to change with the draft, free agency right on top of the draft, and obviously the chance for trades. Uh, you know, will we hear about sign-in trades by the next time we talk to you? Certainly we could hear about draft day trades. What, is it, what do you think the biggest change in the NBA is going to be when we talk to you a week from now? Oh, I think marquee names will have moved. So um, I don't think there'll be free agent movement. I, I mean, Fred Van Vliet's like the one free agent that might move, and I'm not sure that that – I mean, it definitely has an impact because he's really good and Toronto's really good, but that's probably the biggest name, but I don't actually know. I mean, I guess Phoenix could pay him and maybe Atlanta would pay him. Um, so I don't think there'll be free agent movement. Anthony Davis will resign. Brandon Ingram will resign, but I think Miles Turner will move out of Indiana either to New Orleans um, where he's really a perfect fit for Drew Holiday or to Boston for Gordon Hayward, where he's actually a pretty perfect fit. So I think that's a possibility. Um, I think Russell Westbrook will move. Uh, I think Chris Paul will move. Um, what else? I mean, I just think there'll be a lot of the draft pick draft trades. Um, I think will be, prevalent but not earth-shattering in other words everyone is looking to move down not up and there so i don't and there don't seem to be a lot of players who someone anyone really feels like oh that's a game changer for us to go get him and so i think it's going to be hard for any of the top kind of four or five teams that are interested in moving their pick to be able to get down and and then you know usually if you're trading one through four a player of significance is moving and i don't see that happening so um, I think you'll see trades. I think that we, these the general managers have all had enough time over the last seven months to kind of figure out possibilities and really look through the league and everything's been investigated and things have probably been talked about. Um, and so I think you'll see a lot of trades once the trade window opens, which is a little different, but I don't think you'll see um, huge draft day earthquake type things. And I mean, maybe, you know, maybe for all we know, Drew Holiday and Miles for Miles Turner, and someone decides they deserve a draft pick out of that. Like that's the kind of where a draft pick could be involved, but I don't think otherwise. The one thing I do think's worth keeping an eye on that could have an impact is when. So Mike Conley just opted in, according to reports. When is the opt-in date? Is it 
it usually is after the draft. There's some talk that maybe before the draft this year. So then someone like even Ennis Cantor at five million or Gordon Hayward at his thirty opt in, they're now tradable. They wouldn't have been tradable otherwise. So that could only that'll increase trade. Why do you think the draft isn't actually more of a science than it is? Oh, three things. Youth. Four things. Maybe more. We might keep going. This list might <laughs> keep going, PK. Uh, all right, so youth, and then I think uh, money, like how different kids react to getting the money. Like I think certain kids, you know, it changes them. Other kids are unimpacted by it, and they're just trying to get better. Um, the I'm going to say this politely. Um, the large discrepancy between the collegiate game and the NBA game. So I'll use an example in this draft. Cole Anthony. AAU circuit, elite-level athlete, pretty fabulous one-on-one player, thought of really highly, at times thought of as one of the best high school players in the country. Goes to North Carolina. Roy Williams runs, I don't know what. I mean, I know what it is, but it's just the most antiquated double-post bullcrap I've ever seen. There's no room anywhere. I don't think there was a guy on that team that shot better than 33% from three. And Cole Anthony looks like hell. Well, which is it? Like, you know, does he look terrible because he started playing better players and he's not in the more structure and he's not as good? Or is it because, like, there's no room? Like, I've been watching Cole Anthony and I just freeze frame the screen and then just decide the play is useless. Like, I literally look at it, freeze frame the screen, I'm like, okay, whatever happens here actually does not give me any understanding of anything about it. I mean, I guess if he had scored in that, then he's Michael Jordan. Because there's just no room on that floor at all. Villanova is like one of the only teams that actually opens the floor, spreads it out, runs multiple pick and rolls with multiple different players. And so you have a player like Sadiq Bey who looks great because his system's fabulous. They've spread the floor. All five of their guys can shoot a little. And he has all this room to maneuver. I actually worry on him. He doesn't pop off the screen to me as an athlete at all. He doesn't. He he's bigger than anyone guarding him because he's playing with the ball in his hands at six seven two twenty. He doesn't turn the corner and get his shoulder by anyone, um, and he doesn't elevate over a lot of people. Like I'm worried a little bit on him that he gets into the NBA and suddenly is athletically deficient and then doesn't look as good. Whereas Cole Anthony might actually get into the NBA and be really good with a spread open floor. Like I think he might be Austin Rivers. Like that's pretty good, but there's a chance that Sadiq Bay like actually can't beat people. So, you know, here's a player who looks amazing in college and another one looks terrible in college. And I actually think there's a chance that they flip when they get to the NBA because the collegiate game is just so different. And then the fourth one, I would say, though, I think, is I, every you know organization is different in how they develop talent. Um, and there are seemingly some spots in this league where you get caught in that system and there's just not a lot of talent development going on or you end up with three coaches in five years and maybe you're a better player than what you're being able to show. And then there's other guys who just end up in, you know, in a perfect circumstance and they might, you know, and then if they look good early, they get traded to a different circumstance and they don't look as good. So, so I would say youth, so lack of experience, money, 
the collegiate game just does not replicate the NBA game in any way, shape, or form, and then system that they get dropped into. How's that for off the top of my head? Uh, that is very David Locke-esque. Okay. Just <laughs> warming up. Let me have another shot of espresso. I'll be ready. <laughs> really? So Mike Conley has decided that he will not opt out. Now, he would have only opted out if he was going to sign a two- or three-year deal with the Jazz. Does that surprise you? What do you think the logic is from either side of the bargaining table on uh, how that played out? Doesn't surprise me at all. Um, You know, so Mike's decision of two things is, one, you know, does he want to go? Does he hate Utah so much he's willing to bypass thirty million? Okay, so that was no. Um, does he have an opportunity to make more money over the next three years by opting out than he does by opting in? So, in other words, could have he, you know, garnered fifty million over three years? Where if he goes in the open market next year, he's only going to get a two-year, eight million dollar deal or something. You know, um, I. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that that was actually on the table for him, so that might not have been an option. And the other part of that is I just, you know, he's made enough money that if I were Mike Conley after this year, I would just want to pick, be able to pick my spot, right? Like I might be able to go play some, I might be willing to go play somewhere for a million if it's the right spot, right? Like, so, you know, the Lakers are looking for a point guard and I go spend a year in LA and, and, you know, go try to win a title with LeBron or I decide that I, you know, my family is growing and kids are beginning to go to school and I want to be in a place where we're comfortable. Like it could be anything. So um, I just think if you've made as much money as Mike Conley, maybe you're at this point in your career, I'll take another year in Utah and then just evaluate the landscape and see what's best for me in a year. And if it's the difference between, you know, making three, five and 10, as crazy as that sounds, it might not matter. So Justin Zanuck got a promotion, and I don't remember when it was, but it was sometime in the last year. How, with this new ownership and all, do you think decisions will be made come draft night? Hmm. You know, so J- Justin is GM. Dennis is, I think, vice, like president of basketball operations. I still get the – I mean, Dennis has always been incredibly collaborative. So that's always, if you talk to people in the room, he's always asking a lot of questions. He's always getting a lot of opinions. He's always looking for a consensus um, of the group. He's, you know, I guess at some point in every moment, it's somebody's decision that has to be made. But that has not been from what I've heard. I've obviously never been in the room. Um, From everybody I've heard, that's not how Dennis does things. I've heard much more that Dennis is a collective uh, viewpoints, multitude of ideas coming to a collective decision. So it doesn't change much? Uh, that would be, yeah, that's the implication of okay. my answer. Yeah. Which... Like, I, don't think, I don't think Justin suddenly standing in the front of the room and saying we're doing this, but maybe. I mean, you know, there's... You know, they had some extra, they had some pretty fast pivots they had to make in free agency last year when Miritich decided that he was going to stay in Europe. So somebody in that room had to be making a pretty quick pivot of what the next move was. It, you know, um, now 
Dennis and his crew have also always been known for extensive preparation, so maybe that pivot is simply what's option two, and it's already lined up on the board. But if that's not the case, then somebody in that group had to make a pretty quick pivot and a decision at you know a major moment in time and to go get Boyan Bogdanovich. And so I don't know who that was, but if that if that in fact I mean one of those one of two scenarios happened on that right. So Miritich surprised everybody and went to Europe, and now that's off the list. What are we going to do? And we have, you know, that was really significant to the marketplace because it meant there was one less stretch four in a marketplace that didn't have a lot of stretch fours and had a lot of suitors. And so, you know, you were on the verge of not getting a stretch four and then probably re-signing faves and being back with kind of that that lineup that didn't. And then I, you know, you grab Conley. I mean, we'll, we'll never know whether a lineup of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Joe Ingles is enough shooting to let favors and go bear work. I mean, that could have been the other theory there. So that might've been an option, but I mean, they just had to make a really, sorry, I'm just kind of babbling off thoughts. They just had to make a really quick pivot. Somebody did it. Which team in the West of the jazz are chasing is about to make a major move. That's going to have everybody talking or which team below the jazz is about to make a move that leapfrogs them in front of the jazz and has everybody talking. Mm. Uh, so the Thunder are, I think, by definition, ahead of the Jazz in the standings last year, and I think they'll make a move that will make everyone think they're less good, and I'm not entirely sure that's true unless they lose Gallinari also. If they move Chris Paul and just turn it over to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I guess they'll lose some games, but I think it's just the natural time to like Gilgis-Alexander of that team. Um, the Warriors will leapfrog the Jazz. They'll have some significant move here if it's just not nothing, if it's just not, you know, the least of which is just taking the number two pick of the draft. Um, but that's that's talent. I mean, this draft may not be great, but adding anyone from James Wiseman to Anthony Edwards to Tyrese Halliburton would make the water, you know, that, that player was Alfonso McKinney two years ago. So they'll be way better. That's a, that's a step in the right direction. Um, and they're healthy. So the warrior or healthier. So the Warriors should leapfrog the jazz. Um, I think Dallas could make a move um, that could, could, you know, if Dallas can go get something next to Luca and Chris Tapps, I don't know exactly what it is. Like I, I'm kind of the last. I'm on Zach Levine Island. There aren't a lot of people left. It's got the real estate value is dropping, and we've had a certain you know flight off our island. But I, I'm a pretty big fan of Zach Levine. I saw he was rumored to be in discussions with Dallas. Um, there's only like there's only like 18 guys, and like here's my thought on that. By the way. So the off-the-bounce three has become the big play, right? We saw that with Donovan and Jamal Murray. And the if everyone's dropping the big, which 29 of the 30 teams do, and actually probably 30 of 30 because Jim Boylan doesn't have a job anymore, um, then the, you know, the answer to that is you have to come off the pick and roll and rise into a shot. Like, that's, that's the only way to combat that defense really successfully. There's only, I think, 19 players in the NBA who shoot 35% or better off-the-bounce off threes. And Zach Levine's one of them. So, and he's big and tall, and he can get his shot off. So, I'm a fan. Um, you know, I know all the problems, but I'm still a fan. So, I think that could be good for Dallas. Um, you know, if New Orleans goes and gets Miles Turner, that's an interesting move, right? They're really without a center right now for Zion, and Derek doesn't really match because they don't, both can't shoot. And so, if they're suddenly Lonzo Ball, JJ Redick. Jason Hart, um, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Miles Turner, that, and they have two rim defenders. That's, 
that's kind of awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that I'm trying to think who else. So Phoenix, I guess, if they go add Chris Paul, do you like? Do you totally buy into that? I don't really buy the Phoenix eight no bubble as a great indicator, but certainly they're getting better. How do you think? So, yeah, this... ev- so and and everyone. So Minnesota's getting the number one pick. Yeah, so just everyone in the West is getting better. How will the pandemic affect the draft? Well, if it's like the NFL draft, the TV broadcast will be way better. Well, I don't mean like, it was optically. really cool to watch everyone in their house. I thought that was a way better broadcast. Um, um, I don't know how the pandemic will. I mean, these guys are like I talked to two, somebody in the front in a like you know league person the other day. I was talking and I brought up like who's going to be unprepared and the. You know, or what, what front office is, you know, I'm looking for like, what front office is going to get exposed? And he was like, exposed? Like, it's been nine months. Like, everybody's prepared for this. There's nobody who's not prepared for this. They've had nine months. So I don't think there's some concept that players, you know, haven't been seen. John Hollinger on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, it might have been actually on Chad Ford's big board, one of the two, was talking about how he thinks like the best thing about this draft is the fact that there's no workouts or that there's limited workouts. He thinks that the recency bias on workouts in an unnatural environment lead teams to make bad decisions. So that's just, there's a counter opinion on, you know, you're much better off evaluating players in games and what you're seeing on the floor than when you put them in an unnatural circumstance in the gym after they've been working with their trainer for two months to, uh, to be ready for those specific drills was his point. And so you, and then he thinks it's impossible to get in the draft room and not have the most recent observation be your dominant thought. Sure, but when you're watching them in games and they're running offenses that I ran when I was a kid, (laughs) back to your point about North Carolina and they're not alone, I'd watch Nico Mannion to Arizona because I knew him when he was in elementary school, and I think, I recognize that offense. Why are they running that? Right. And then I would text Pace, and then I would get back some short terse reply and realize, ooh, wait, I can't joke about this with him. (laughs) Yeah, what am I doing? I mean, I think, like, like Nico Mannion's interesting – because he is pretty little and he didn't finish at the rim very well. And so, but he, he has some incredible court vision and plays with an incredible pace. And then Arizona state didn't do those two things. So it was really hard to tell what he could do. Like, you know, is he going to be able to get in the lane and really distribute and move it around and do some pretty fabulous things in an open floor of the NBA? Maybe he was, Bogarted a bunch of times defensively in a way that was a little unnerving when I've watched him. Um, I mean, I think he might be DJ Augustine, um, which is good. DJ Augustine's got like a 12-year career going um, and was a seventh, ninth pick of a draft. And Pace, and Pace's kid, Nico, is going to be, you know, probably 40s. Um, but I'm with you on that. You know, like the kid that I just have like attached myself to and may never play in the NBA is this kid out of Mississippi State named Robert Woodard II. And he just jumps off the screen like if you're if i if you watch mississippi state you might not he might disappear for 15 minutes because he's you know not great but every now and then he'll do something and it's like oh that's the nba player on the floor and so what do you how do you evaluate this guy he plays on a team whose guards are selfish and awful i mean awful and never pass and he's a wing, and he's limited, but he's six eight, like two twenty. He had like the fifth biggest vertical jump. He has got a seven two reach. He is a one foot jumper, so that if he gets an edge on someone, it's over, and he is on top of the cup. 
He's actually got, I think, pretty good anticipatory defensive skills when he's paying attention defensively, which is not always. And he is, uh, God went into his athletic bag of tricks and gave all of them to him. All of them. Every single one of them to this guy. And yet he's playing, I watch him, and he'll disappear for like 10 minutes because he sees the ball for like a second. And the system has him always getting the ball. Never, he never touches the ball with an advantage. He gets the ball at 30 feet all the time straight away with no, like he can't dribble more than two or three times in a row right now with his skill set. So there's nothing he can do from there. And yet if they're in the open floor, like there was a play I watched where off a made free throw, they pushed it up and the defense wasn't entirely set. And he's so explosive that he was on top of the cup with this monster jam. Like that's an NBA player. And so how do you evaluate this guy? He looks like he's going to go in the second round. I kind of love him because, you know what? Like, maybe you can teach him how to dribble three times. Maybe you can teach him to make his shots a little better. Three seems fine. He's got a high relief. Shoots 65% from the free throw line, so that makes you nervous because that's the number one thing that equates to three-point shooting. But you know what? Like, he can guard the two, the three, the four if he, play, if he focuses. He, like, actually I think could be a secondary rim defender because he's such an elite athlete, and I think that's, like, the biggest thing in the league right now. And yet, you know what? If you watch him, he looks like, yeah, I got why he's a second-round draft pick and why people don't really like him because it's pretty mundane to watch him sit sit on the wing and kind of get the ball and then every now and then get bored, take one dribble, always be able to shake his man and miss a mid-range jump shot. Like, I get it, but it's such a bad game to watch. I can't tell how you evaluate the player. David, thanks for the time as always, and we'll check in with you a week and in a week and see how many of these things have actually happened by then. Talk to you later.